My name is George Bonds. Back in the day, they called me Cimarron George. I guess because I spent most of my time there with a bunch of my friends. Most people know me as an easygoing and modest man. I was born in Illinois and had a real flair for adventure. So I moved out west and became a surveyor in the late 1800s. Most of my jobs were in Kansas. I began surveying land along the Arkansas River for the establishment of new countries. And I spent a lot of time in Dodge City. It was on July 2nd, 1884, when I rode into Dodge with Jake Shoup and some of the boys from Cimarron. As soon as we entered the town, we knew something was different. The streets were still dusty with deep ruts, the clapboard houses still unpainted and grimy. Bob Wright still stood outside his place, but the Congress Hall, the Long Branch, Peacock's Place, the Lone Star, and the rest of the saloons were doing a booming business. It was as someone had pushed the clock back to the 70s, and Dodge was again the rough, brawling town of crazy buffalo hunters and gunslinging cowhands in from the drives headed north. The clerk in the Dodge house laughed when we asked for rooms. I can let you have space in the livery stable, he said, but only because George here is an old customer. I thought Jake had bust a blood vessel, but I knew the clerk was telling the truth, and I persuaded the boys to take the livery space while the taking was good. We brought the horses to the stable, had them cared for, then selected places in the loft where we would bed down. I saw him bell later, and he told me the bullfight was to take place at the fairgrounds between Dodge and the Arkansas River. Sure raising hell around the country, Ham told me. Look here. He showed me copies of the Ford County Times, which reported that protests against the bullfight had been sent to Governor Glick. Somebody in Kansas City sent Mayor Webster a wire, telling the fight was against the laws of the United States. But Webster said, well, that's all right. Dodge City ain't in the United States, Ham said laughing. Some Scottish lawyer in Paso del Norte was arranging the thing, and it was up to him to hire the best matadors in Mexico. We told him we wanted the Mexicans in the fanciest costumes they could find, Ham said. There were seats for thousands in the arena made of planks in which there were openings, covered with heavy mesh wire, through which the bullfighter could escape if the bull became too ornery. We went to inspect the bulls Doc Barton had delivered. There were, as I recall, about a dozen, with the damnedest names. One, I remember, had been named after Edomop, a desperate character who had seen service in Dodge. And I met in Arkansas City years later, just before the run of unassigned lands in Oklahoma. The meanest of them bulls was a huge, vicious brute weighing a couple of tons. I asked what his name was. Doc Barton, he said. Dodge that night was the wildest, roughest place in the West that included Tombstone. It seemed every cowhand in the West had come to Dodge. There was as far south as the border and as far west as Wyoming. Nearly all of them had money and guns, and a lot were eager to fight. We stayed clear to tough ones. That first night must have been ten bloody fights in the Long Branch. Whiskey and beer flowed like water. The Long Branch had five bartenders, as I can recall, and they were filling up glasses left and right every minute. There were gamblers, whores of every description, Easterners, and newspaper correspondents. I remember having a drink with one from the New York Herald. 
Some of the dudes were worked over by tough customers, and some very rough jokes were pulled. Cowboys kept coming and going. You could hear them ride, whistling and whooping like Indians on the warpath. It went on like this for the next three days. The town was packed with visitors and cowpunchers. It was so crowded that a man couldn't buy a place at the hitching rail for a gold piece. We had to stand in line to get a chair at the table for meals and fight our way through to the bar in the saloons. The day before the bullfight, the Scottish lawyer from the border arrived with his entourage of bullfighters. The chief matador was a slender, dark man with a pencil-thin mustache. His name was Gregorio Gallardo, and he claimed that his grandfather had been one of the great matadors in Spain. He was from Chihuahua, and so were his six or seven assistants, all professional matadors, like Avaristo Rivas, Rodrigo, Marco Maya, and Juan Herrera. I'll never forget the day they paraded down the street. It was a blistering hot day, and Chuck Beeson's cowboy band blared and thumped like mad. The whole town lined the sidewalks. After Chuck's band came to Mexicans, riding gracefully on their horses. Gallardo was in the lead. He was dressed in fancy velvet, embroidered with gold. He wore white slippers, and he carried more swords than the armorer for a cavalry troop. The cowhands whooped and cheered, and the horse called out invitations. The dark man nodded and waved. There was no doubt about it now. Dodge was going to have a real live bullfight with all the trimmings. In the early morning of the 4th, the town started to drift towards the fairgrounds. By noon, there must have been 4,000 men, women, and children packed in those wooden stands. I had a seat with Bat and Jim Masterson and Jake Shoup right near the spot where one of the chutes opened. Across the arena, we could see a sea of plumed hats. Mayor Webster made sure that gay ladies had their own section so they couldn't contaminate the church-going ladies who were honoring the event with their presence. It seemed as if every cowhand had one of the girls and a bottle in tow. Kansas was far from dry that day. About one o'clock, Doc Barton's hands rounded up the bulls in the corral and brought them to the chute at the fairgrounds. I understand they cut off and filed down the sharp tips of the animals' horns. Then the Mexican matadors rode in, Gallardo in the lead on a beautiful black bay. He was dressed in scarlet and looked like lender flame. The edges of his cloak were tasseled in gold, and they shivered and shook when he rode. The bull was wild with fury. Every time he charged, instead of hitting something solid, he bumped air in that shaken scarlet cloak. By the time Gallardo was finished, that bull had a lot of fight taken out of him. With one voice, the crowd began chanting, Throw him! Throw him! The slender Mexican must have weighed only about 140 pounds. The bull a couple of tons. But he had said, he dropped his cloak, grabbed the bull by the horns, and started bulldozing him. He twisted the bull's neck and with all his strength tried to throw the animal. But the bull just stood there, his neck twisted. He just couldn't budge the brute. At last, with a typical shrug, he turned and faced the crowd with hands outstretched, palms up. The gesture said plainly, I'm a matador, not a cowhand. The crowd nudged to heaven with their cheers. 
Two horsemen rode in and forced the bull into a chute at the end of the arena. There was a 15-minute interval of music by Beeson's band, and all over the park you could see bottles being lifted. For the rest of the afternoon, the other matadors tried their hands with the bulls, but they weren't as good as their captain. The bulls were to blame. They raced around the arena, frightened the sheep, shedding Doc Barton's reputation as a collector of mean bulls. The matador advanced slowly. He held his sword curved down from shoulder height. The bull charged. His sword plunged down, the dying sun flashing on the blade. It disappeared into the black hide. The bull stopped in his tracks and died slowly, its massive head bowed as if in meditation. Slowly, ever so slowly, the animal sank to its knees. It knelt there a moment, then as if in total submission, rolled over on one side. It's strange, but there weren't any cheering for a moment. Swiftly, the little Mexican threw his cloak around his shoulders, bowed and walked slowly across the arena. Then pandemonium broke out. All of us stood and cheered that man. He had demonstrated that he possessed what the people in the stands admired most, courage. That night, the excitement of the afternoon seemed to infect the mobs, which packed the saloons. There was more fights and more gunplay than in many a year. The marshal and his deputies were up all night. I don't think a saloon closed its doors until dawn, and then only for long enough to clean up and start all over again. The second day crowds again packed the stands, but somehow the zest was gone. The bulls were not as mean as the big one. Nothing could quite match the moment when the slender Mexican matador had plunged his sword into the heart of the meanest bull in the West. I stayed in Dodge the rest of the week. In three days, the crowds dwindled. The painted women went back to lard knows where. The cowhands, their money spent, their throats raw from the whiskey they had drunk, dragged themselves onto their horses and rode away. The dust settled. Dodge, once again, the famed queen of the cowtowns, settled back on her weather-beaten front porch.